Hello and welcome to Architecture Insights, the podcast series produced by the New South Wales Architects Registration Board. I'm your host, Di Snape. At this year's uh, Sydney Architecture Festival, which was held in Parramatta, Professor Christiane Ring was invited to deliver the World Architecture Day Global Oration. In case you missed the opportunity to go to Parramatta for the weekend or for a day, we recorded Christiane Ring's World Architecture Day Global Oration and we present it here on the podcast for your listening pleasure. My name's Peter Pruley, I'm the New South Wales Government Architect. Today we're gathered for International um, Architecture Day, which is a great opportunity to celebrate what our creative class can deliver to our communities and to the future of Sydney. Uh, on behalf of the Sydney Architecture Festival and us, the, the Government Architect New South Wales team, I'd like to welcome you to this very special World Architectural Day oration by Kristen Ring, our keynote speaker today. But uh, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge um, the Darug people, um, the traditional custodians of, of the land on which we meet today, and pay my respects to both elders past and present. Uh, as we come together to talk about creating great places in the future and the role that they play in creating healthy and resilient communities, we also acknowledge Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and their unique cultural and spiritual relationship to place and their rich contribution to our society. We're only learning those things 200 years late, um, but it's very important. I want to thank all those who have made the entire festival, but today in particular, happen uh, and who are going to contribute to this valuable conversation shortly. Um, the Government Architect New South Wales has partnered with, as I said, the Sydney Architecture Festival to, br to bring Dr Christian Ring here to Sydney uh, to share with us her research into how cities benefit from citizen-led collaborative housing development. And it's a timely conversation for us. I've got a personal interest in this. I've got five children who are finding it extremely hard to get into the housing market. Um, and maybe there are some solutions to be found today. Um, We've got a growing population and that adds additional pressure to, uh, to us in Sydney. The design and the diversity of new development in our neighbourhoods becomes paramount. Uh, Christian's re uh, work in Berlin looks at the rise and outcomes of citizen-led housing models such as Baugruppen and how they have been contributing to greater housing diversity in Germany for many decades. And this is of interest to us here uh, and we, as as a government architect are keen to advocate uh, for innovative approaches to make our cities better and more affordable places to live. Many of you will be aware that most recently we worked with the Department of Planning in I guess testing some of, uh, some of the planning controls and issues that, that arise in a uh, design competition called the missing middle for want of a better term. Um, the competition outcomes are demonstrated below in the, in the exhibition downstairs um, and I urge you all to have a look at that. And it really looked at a variety of new models or potentials uh, about our housing future, both in terms of diversity, quality, level of density, um, and ultimately potentially affordability. But that's, uh, that's almost beyond the remit of architects at times. Uh, 
and we've got those winners here today, which is great, and they'll be forming part of our uh, conversation later. We are delighted to have Dr. Christian Ring here to speak to the key concepts and features of collaborative housing development in Germany and her research work. Christian is an architect, curator and author and divides her time between the US and Germany. She is author of Self-Made City Berlin, Self-Initiated Urban Living and Architectural Interventions and Urban Living Strategies for the Future, essential for us I'd suggest. Uh, she is Assistant Professor at the University of South Florida and 2016 Visiting Fellow for the Institute of Advanced Studies at the University of Western Australia, where our good friend Geoffrey London lives. Uh, please welcome Christian. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's great to see you all here today. Um, thank you for the invitation. I'm really honored to be here. Um, now today, um, I'd like to talk about how, um, basically, we've been um, looking at how our cities have evolved over the last years. And what really has concerned me over the last years is that when we look at our, our, our larger cities and how they're growing so quickly, um, nearly 80% of our cities are already built. Um, so everything that we do now really, it always matters, but it really matters. We need to use every new development to make our cities better places to live. And more essentially, not to expand the cities and the suburbs into Never Neverland. I think we've all recognized that we've reached a point of, um, of it can't go any further, it can't go on like that. So we have to find new ways to encourage the more diverse and, and better quality living in the inner cities and that everything that we do adds to the livability and the sustainability of our cities. So um, there are some examples that try to do this in a bit of a different way and um, typically we, always, we see uh, the investors, the developers, um, going to the banks and making our city, but who makes our city really matters. And it, it not only who makes our city, but the people who live there make the city. So they did not only create the city or can create the city, but they make the city by actually being there. We can see in London, in Miami, so many instances where um, the, 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 um, the, 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 the flats, the apartments, the, um, the developments are really just for investments. Um, and actually nobody even lives there. So can we come up with something that um, allows us to do like in a, in a very small instance when we go to the bank to build our own house, we know what we want. Can we come together and make, let's say, a larger idea, something more urban? Um, for, uh, let's say, uh, jumping back to Berlin where I've studied many projects, um, this, uh, there, there was a time where there was a lot of doubt. There had been huge developments, um, and then about 2002, about 10 years after the wall fell, after reunification, there was a large standstill economically. And uh, the kind of large developments that had happened were not what was defining the quality of the city. They weren't what people were like going to the city to see. What people went to the city to see were the great neighborhoods and the places where people really lived and came together. So um, 
This is an installation by a Norwegian artist on the pa Palace of the Republic that um, before they tore it down. So they were tearing down things in the middle of the city, building huge developments, but that was not the life of the city. So the life of the city was really the people who were doing small things, interventions, one-day bars that you had to climb down the, you know, into the back courtyards to get to that you couldn't find. And um, the spaces that were taken over by people and transformed, this is a public garden, um, or the Mauer Park that has turned into now the karaoke mile of uh, Europe, um, where you can go every Sunday and hundreds of thousands of people have now now play music and have transformed that whole area. Or um, so the temporary has come to be the norm, the, um, the, the, and the life of the city. And even the city planning um, has kind of used the temporary startup, the bottom up developments to initiate and create life in an area before they're then developed. Um, so this is a picture, a, a, a map of all of the small areas in 19, around 2002 that were still not developed. So there was a lot of opportunity in Berlin and a lot of people absolutely not finding what they wanted on the market. A lot of people did not want to move out to the suburbs. They wanted to f create and find something better, a better way of life in the city. And there was a lot of opportunity. They wanted a good neighborhood, something affordable, um, but that suited their, their needs. And uh, it's just started out that people uh, were coming together um, and realizing they had neighbors, they had friends through their kids in the, in the kita or the, the, um, the, the nursery schools or schools that um, they were all looking for to do this. And a lot of architects didn't have work at the time. So they were looking at these sites, coming up with um, uh, development ideas about what could actually happen there and just looking around in their, in their kind of circle of friends or wider circle of friends and um, basically stacking single-family homes on top of each other. So the very first ideas of the Baugruppe, um, let's say in the way it was done, it's been done in Berlin, is um, the co-creation between the architect and the, the future users um, to build a suitable home in a good neighborhood or together with neighbors. But it was a very pragmatic approach. Um, but after a while, when we have um, wonderful, can see some wonderful examples built over the last 15 years, um, they uh, started to recognize that there was a lot of power and potential in this, um, uh, in, in, in doing this. So this is one example where, let's say we lo we're looking at a, a very sustainable multi-story uh, wooden construction, the, um, of which uh, the construction method was pioneered by this, by the, or, or furthered by this uh, Baugruppe uh, group and uh, put through all kinds of certica certification processes. Um, and when we think about sustainability, the, um, it's not only the, uh, the ecological building materials, but it's also uh, the long-term economy and economic um, idea that we, that we can live somewhere for a long period of time and within a social network uh, that creates a better neighborhood. And I think this, has, uh, this is just picturing a small part of a neighborhood where so many of these projects have happened that have a real effect on the neighborhood. People come together where they've gotten to know each other over the period in the course of the building, and they already they already say hello on the street. They already affect the the area. They
they live in and make it a kind of a lively neighborhood. And so many of these projects have happened that they have actually set new standards, new building standards, and new price to quality relationships that even the, um, the let's say, the standard um, building investors have to step up to because um, there's just no comparison to what was on the market and now the, the quality has actually risen through some of these projects. Um, but these, also, these projects have also redefined how architects work together with their clients and how they can set up structures in order to bring so many people together um, to make these projects run smoothly. So whereas they've, they took a long time in the startup, now they run very smoothly and efficiently through the projects and uh, can deliver these projects within a very normal period of time. Um, so uh, the projects have gone from small to big, um, big being able to be done because they, uh, we know how to divide them up into smaller groups and um, from and the projects have evolved and the ones that I'll show you have gone from very practical oriented um, let's say let's just deliver our what you call strata title uh, um, ownership based uh, project to things that are let's say um, much more ideological and much more based on what can we share and how can we make a better way of life um, and create this li better way of life within the city. Um, and for example, um, there have been a, a, a large portion of families that, um, that have created these kinds of uh, projects, much larger than um, like normally only about 6.4% uh, of the apartments on the market are actually f suited for families. And in these, uh, in these projects, over 50%. So just as an example, you know, a very small infield project has now turned into something where um, uh, the, it's, it's not only ownership-based, like in the, on the, on the left-hand side, but on the right-hand side, this is a co-op association where the association has uh, found um, a foundation to purchase the land, which was extremely expensive. Um, so the land right on the river in the right in the middle of the city was very expensive. So it's a foundation that's now doing offering a land a 99 year land lease to this association. And it was developed by three different architects to break it up into smaller pieces. And um, all of the land surrounding it is open to the public. So I'll go into a little bit more depth in that project later, but you can see the kind of range of what has happened in a very short period of time with some experience. We can, um, open up, let's say, totally new possibilities. So this is just illustrating a bit of the idea that I talked about that, you know, when we, when we want to create a diversity on the market and maybe uh, really suitable um, models for families or other people in the middle of the city who don't find their kind of normal, you know, thing on the market, um, this is an idea that brings like a three-story uh, townhouse and stacks it on top of each other. And then the architects actually work together with the landowner um, to say, well, can you hold this land for us? We'll give you a good price for it in three, in three months, but we need three months to get all of the buyers together. So they did, and it turned out that they wanted a, you know, it turned out a little bit different. One wanted a two-story uh, with garden access and then kept uh, an apartment to actually rent out um, where they imagined that, that in the future their, their parents might move in and the others have uh, direct access, access to the roof. And so after a very short period of time, they had their, their participants together. They went to the land uh, owner and 
all of the participants bought the land uh, at once. So they had just a, an agreement, and the landowner um, just simply held the land for them for three months, and he said, well, um, probably he predicted it, the land cost would go up a certain amount um, during that time, and so they promised to pay that amount. So he didn't have to take less, um, but uh, and this is what it looks like from the street front <coughs> and the direct garden access from the back and some generous multi-story kind of open spaces in between. And um, this is just a, an analysis of, of many projects in Berlin and the different kinds of um, aspects and qualities that, that I looked at. Um, but it came down to really that customizing um, meant that um, we had really special <coughs> solutions, and all of these solutions are ones that are transferable in the end. So when you start out with custom ideas, they are custom, but they're ideas that lots of people need. So um, let's say um, the normal typical block, for example, in Berlin, you know, creates nice apartments, but you know, in the, in the back they tend to be really dark and they're really not very suitable for families. So this project looked at a, a site um, and how to make how to specifically cater to, to families or, let's say, um, people who would normally be buying a, a house outside of the city and trying to make a more urban situation, but doing in doing so, creating qualities that were even better than living in your own single-family home. This is just after it was finished and built, but you can see this um, open courtyard is very protected, so everybody lives there with... Um, and opens the door to the kids, but they have they each have a kind of an area you see where there's a little bit of privacy, but it spills out onto this garden. But they each um, in the townhouses, which are to the left, and border on the street, they also have uh, a loggia and they have a private garden terrace on the top. So they have their private green spaces, and this space is like right off of their their living room area and spills out into the in like into the to the community space. And the others are situated so that there's a um, three-story unit stacked on top of another three-story unit. Um, and the bottom spills out into the garden area, whereas the top has uh, their own garden terrace. Um, that's a plan you can't see very well, but um, uh, that just uh, looks at how that, how that is in plan and that uh, the the, the, it's the living room spaces that open up onto the terrace, uh, uh, into the community garden. So underneath that garden is the parking lot, uh, the parking, which is disguised from the street. And um, the actually what opens up onto the street, uh, this is just how they've opened up some spaces inside to make it a little bit more generous. And you see that there's no parking on the street, but they have a little, um, a small, many, many of these families use it as an office or a guest room. Um, and behind that is the parking. So they've activated the street front as well. Um, and this is the penthouse on the very back, uh, looking at how those spaces work as you come into the middle and you go up or down. And when you go up, you enter a kind of a um, recessed courtyard, private court area, um, because it's to the north, and that goes up and then onto the, the roof terrace. This is uh, a project that... Um, offers a real kind of multi-generational mix uh, within the city. Uh, by, uh, the last project was by Sanderholt Architects. This is Gruntuk and Ernst, um, who have created their own office, 
their own living space and they have five children. Um, and then there are two or three other units at the front and several in the back courtyard area. And this is built to uh, passive house, uh, passive, yeah, the, the passive house standard. The type looks at how you can combine these different, um, let's say, typologies within one project. So in the back, they have like a townhouse where their parents actually live and where there's one other um, family uh, unit um, above a gallery, an office space, and several other mixed spaces. This project looks at how they can um, um, uh, create a really kind of flexible mix um, and they weren't allowed to build balconies so the whole group said well we want balconies so we're gonna have to figure out how to how to do it and and uh, they have a wonderful when you come out onto the balcony they have a wonderful view down this cobblestone street uh, to a, a church by Karl Friedrich Schinkel so it's uh, and then behind that the TV tower right in the axis so they definitely had to have balconies so they commissioned the architect and an artist to work together on that and um, uh, in general they the the whole the, the architect came up with the idea for this um, the site without knowing who would be in the group. So he had to come up with ideas about how the spaces could be combined and taken away. And um, in, in fact, that has actually already happened because one family moved in who at the beginning couldn't afford the entire space and then after about five or six years, they were able to, um, to take over the rest of uh, what they had been renting out. So, um, and they um, put a lot of emphasis on the customization of uh, some of the some of the spaces, this being a kind of pop-out bathtub and bathroom convertible. And you can see here how you can imagine dividing and um, separating that, that space. Um, there have also been a lot of successful projects that have reactivated uh, wonderful old buildings. As you can imagine, it takes somebody, some, a really special group of people to, to find the right kind of uses and put breathe new life into these buildings. And examples where we have um, um, courtyards uh, or the, the private land being offered to the public uh, as open public space. And this is a project that by doing so has created really uh, wonderful uh, floor plans um, that um, are really adaptable to, to you know, many different situations. And this is a project that took that idea much further, um, really opening up the, the, the exterior uh, surrounding areas. And um, one of the, let's say, most important aspects of these projects is that, uh, as I was saying, they started to, um, uh, they started as very pragmatic and have moved to, to um, really looking at what kind of shared spaces work and what makes sense. And many of them share the rooftop terrace. And this happens to be a guest room, but they use it for parties when, or, or for cooking because there's a kitchen in there as well. So they cook and you know, spend their, their evenings outside on the terrace. Um, this is another project in the Ritterstrasse, there up to up their upstairs terrace. And this one in Vienna, where they actually have a kitchen where they come together and cook uh, together. And sleds and, and things. So each one of those doors um, is, and behind there are their shared things, and they can play in that, in that um, expanded walkway area. So that becomes the shared space and the basis of the shared space. And it's not an expensive room. It's just think, rethinking how we can use these spaces together to make life easier in the city. All of the, these projects share their garden spaces. Um, 
like I said, some of them even open them up to the to to the neighborhood. Um, and this one actually um, started to redefine an area of that where that that is very prevalent in in Europe. This kind of development situation where we have post-war um, housing that is always set back from the street and has this kind of buffer green around it, um, but right in the middle of the city. So this one looks at how can we start to redefine the street edge and use our shared space at the ground floor level to, um, to recreate um, public space and reactivate those garden spaces. And they don't have any fences around it. Well, this is kind of the building site still when it, the photo was taken, but um, so it's there's, there are no fences and it really um, starts to activate the garden spaces by inviting the neighborhood into different areas of the garden. And they've started to use their garden spaces now and to relook at that. So here you can see it was the center of the city. There was a lot of destruction during World War II um, and um, you know how it kind of tries to mitigate between those two um, structures. So this is a project that really looked at how can we um, work together with the people who um, are going to live there and what kind of structures do we need? So this is an, an, a, a, a diagram of how they went through this entire process. So they really diagrammed that process and looked at what are the shared spaces and how might they be used and how can we give the people um, who will live there um, as much choice as possible? What kind of building systems can we give? So there's a whole system of doors and windows and the exterior facade that um, people got to put together like a um, um, like a building blocks um, to suit their the needs of their interiors and this uh, it's a little bit light on the side but um, you can see how a lot of the through that exterior space which is also sh looked at as shared space um, the the apartments really open up to that and create an entirely new kind of circulation throughout the the, the flats and the kids um, in the building um, use the building entirely differently. They use only that and go and visit their friends and neighbors um, only via the exterior spaces. So people will be knocking on the outside uh, the window. So this is their shared terrace again. And this was the um, this is the space that I was talking about the the shared space that reactivates that street front and. Um, can be even be rented out for events uh, by people in the neighborhood. Many of these really look at how they address the street front um, with either offices or shops and, and other things. And it's not um, always the most simple um, thing to, to, to have shops. So different um, cons um, uh, financial constructions are also necessary sometimes uh, to create a company that then um, actually does that, uh, that bottom floor or bottom two floors. And this project in particular has really um, put an emphasis on that kind of mix and, uh, because the mix that we create um, gives back to the city. It gives back to the liveliness in the city. If we, if we have parking on the ground floor, don't activate the ground floor spaces, or if we have only housing, um, you know, they, then that kind of small scale mix is really missing. And We've, we've seen in Berlin how much we need these really small spaces um, for, um, for offices, for, ho you know, for people who want to work not very far away from home. And so if we create this kind of mix, then it's not only that you, know, that you can live and work in the same building, that's not really the idea. The idea is that you'll have these kind of opportunities within your neighborhood. So the more mix you create, the more walkable walkability and the more like, tight-knit neighborhood you create. 
So here, looking at how they share the roof, but um, how they've devised each one of the apartments to be kind of um, with a small, smaller and larger portion that can be divided off later. And uh, I think a, an 85-year-old woman lives there as well, in the same spaces. And how they've created a, a kind of a live-work situation on the um, on what would normally be a, the office uh, floors with a split level, um, the split level situation. And so it's what they call the base plus. So the base is um, uh, a little cafe and a shop and uh, even a small art space. And the plus is the first floor above, which is that um, one and a half story or a split level um, situation that you can use in many different ways. So, and this looks at how you know you might be able to think about areas that, that could be very flexible. And this this is the this is by Arno Brandelhuber that activated a kind of a very unused area and looked at taking the, the entire circulation to the exterior of the building and the whole building is kind of an art project that's transformable over time and very flexible. These are some of the buildings that I showed you already and the one on the very left, uh, all of them to a very high sustainable standard, um, energy or uh, um, passive house or energy plus and the one on the left has even created a whole situation where they um, envision living in place. So they've, uh, the entire ground floor area should be used for um, a nursing care uh, in the future. At the moment, it's used as com a community space and uh, rented out as an office. So they've, um, the, the whole project is adaptable over time for those in, in that direction. An example of a, another passive house standard building. And um, just in terms of affordability, um, these projects, uh, Generally, I think you've already understood um, that the, the people who, who live there, they, they step in as the developers. So a lot of the work that a developer would normally do is done by the architects together with the people who will live there, which saves them quite a lot of money. So um, the, it's the speculation and the, the profit of the developer um, that they basically um, save by doing that work themselves. But they also, beyond that, I think I, I've shown you the kind of decisions that they've been able to make. Um, so they, they can invest some of their savings into, let's say, um, the building materials or creating other kinds of spaces. Um, so this just um, shows you once again that people you know, really come up with different kinds of solutions and very diverse solutions even within one building um, when um, it's not only based, the decisions are not only based on profitability, but on the long-term needs of the people who will be living there, and maybe long-term savings. And the determining factors are really what I touched on at the very beginning um, uh, about the site. How do we get the site? How long does it take us to get the site? And um, and what is the size of the site? So what can the what can the city do, or how how do these um, these groups actually get to the site? And um, can the city actually help, or are there other institutions that might be able to help? So I think I mentioned in the one of the projects, which I'll I think go into. Um, yes, the city can actually, if they have land, um, some like Helsinki, for example, owns all of their land, and they've um, worked uh, together with the city of Helsinki for for over a longer period of time, where they um, use their land uh, to in order to. Um, uh, to to give to, to Baugruppe projects. And it was based on the concept that these projects 
um, provided. So what kind of mix were they going to provide and all of these kind of qualities that I was just talking about. So um, the question is, you know, are these social qualities, um, let's say, worth something uh, for the city? And can the city then um, use that to, to um, justify reserving land or, or selling land, um, not cheaper, but selling land specifically to a, a, a Baugruppe? Um, the projects uh, along the river uh, Spree, one of them, this is the this is a um, a picture from 2004, and now it's been totally rad radically transformed on both sides of the river. Um, this is a project that I showed earlier, and um, this one was specifically um, again uh, how 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 can we how can we realize a project like this? And it was only in partnership with a foundation who bought was able to buy the land, purchase the land. Um, that, that this was made viable and realizable. So they have a long-term lease, uh, a, a land lease. What, what the foundation who bought the land was really interested in seeing was uh, how they shared the spaces and what they would actually offer up to the community. So like I said, the, uh, the land surrounding it is public space. Um, it's right along the river, so they have kept this river walk um, completely open. And they share spaces on the ground floor, but also on the other, other levels. And they've also uh, made spaces available on the ground floor level um, for people who um, applied with a concept uh, to be a part of the, that, that, that project. So they've, um, the group decided to reduce the rent in order to make that possible. And uh, these are the kind of spaces and, and they share in where they are within the, in the building. And they have uh, normal apartments, but they also have what they call um, cluster apartments. So we have several families living together and um, in like one area where they have a shared kitchen and shared um, uh, living room space within the building. So let's say they have three floors of um, different like mini apartments and shared space within, within a whole complex that also has shared spaces. So I think this is a, this is pretty experimental. They've also tried to um, save some apartments um, that they're now at the moment renting out to um, to uh, refugees, um, but they were ten intended to be f uh, low cost apartments that they've integrated throughout the project. Um, and this is a project across the river that looks at how can we um, let's say make a um, make a project that, that with one area that is intended to be e extremely experimental and um, low, it's called Holzmarkt uh, and Eckwerk. And Holzmarkt is an area that is extremely experimental where they want to have like a, a pathway that goes up and over the buildings that where um, everything that's grown there will be used um, in the restaurants below and um, it should be a, an area for startups. And then the, the larger development should produce enough energy to fuel that entire area. And it will also be for, let's say, startups. Um, this is how they, they had to transform the project in order to make it viable. That was uh, what city planning had foreseen. And they wanted to maximize the views and light. Um, and they want to bring the public realm all the way up through the building. So this is a studies of how that covered atrium space on the ground floor can be made into a kind of a pathway mountain pathway all the way up to the roof and every time it kind of hits the building it expands into a new kind of um, public use um, like theater or open space multi-use space 
as it goes up the building. Um, and the, um, there, um, and a lot of these projects, um, I forgot to mention that the mobility concept is really a key point. Um, in Berlin, no parking spaces are required, but um, obviously you have to deal with it. So um, uh, in, in, this, in this situation, they have massive bicycle parking, but they've also designated a whole battery uh, or, or fleet of electro cars that should be shared by the community. And the, uh, the Spreefeld across the river did, has done the same. They even have some electro like cargo bikes that are also shared th throughout the community. And this is how the, the pathway goes up and meets at the top. Um, and they have aquaponics on the facade. Um, they, in different areas, they, um, um, this should also be a live-work situation and really looks at like the different kind of facilities that, that uh, the people who live there can use. And the idea of rent is based on um, a general rent and not rent based on how much space they use, but rent based on all of the amenities that they use. So um, they're figuring out at the moment exactly how that will work with what kind of cards or whatever. But um, they have a very small living space, and it, it's like a live, co-work, co-live um, um, area uh, throughout the entire building. And whatever you use um, is then just part of your, your general rent. And it, the idea is that other people will also come during the day, so not only live there, but um, there will be an exchange throughout the entire day. And um, it's a... I think seven-story wooden, uh, complete wooden construction with uh, wooden, like wood uh, facades uh, combined with aquaponics um, to create some of the energy plus um, for the facilities. So uh, the last, uh, the, the the last architectural project that I'd like to show you is actually in Vienna, and this one is also an association. Um, uh, Vienna has an um, amazing structure of association, or, or let's say, uh, history of associations, or the, the foundation of their housing um, is based on associations. And uh, this one um, is also extremely highly uh, high energy standard, and worked together with this big group of people to create um, amazing um, way of life, really, and shared spaces. They also share, I think, seven cars or different kinds of cars uh, for 70 different um, units. So I think there are over 100 people who live there, but 70 uh, living places. They, um, this just looks at how they made their decisions, the whole decision-making process, and uh, how the architects were able to devise a system within this um, of where, where the, the um, uh, again, uh, the, the people who would live there would be able to have a little bit of say in how the facade was, was moved around, how much balcony, where, um, and how that would look. So they worked very individually together with the, the people who live there. And even though, though it's not an ownership-based, but a, an association who owns the land and owns the project, the people who live there are members and pay a long-term, um, let's say, secure, fairly low rent. Um, this is their... Um, open interior um, circulation space, and their open kitchen space, but they also have this um, shared kitchen on the ground floor that I that I mentioned before, um, where um, they take turns cooking for each other. So it's kind of like gets into the co-housing ideology, but they don't have to. They they all 
have their own kitchens and cook, um, can cook by themselves if they want. And it opens out onto a wonderful um, uh, uh, garden area. They have a workshop. Uh, they have upstairs on the roof terrace an open roof terrace with a sauna, um, a library, um, and a, um, near where they cook and right next to the kitchen and the and the dining room area they have a play area for the kids where they can see each other but it's a uh, uh, kind of soundproof. So then <laughs> and. Uh, and this is where they have their shared garden space on, on the exterior. And this is their wonderful bicycle parking. I would like bicycle parking like that. <laughs> so, and um, downstairs, um, which is also even open to kind of a, um, a, a reduced court, courtyard area, they have a, um, a theater space that they can rent out to other people. And lastly, I'd like to show you the peop the Back then, they were students when they did this, and, and uh, Tim and Jan Edler from Realities United. Um, and later, they opened a bar, um, activating some space along the river that wasn't used. And so there it is, right next to the Bodo Museum, right next to the museum's island. They, they used to um, have this bar called Kunst und Technik, Art and, and Tech and high-tech, and it's right, see the white arrow there, right along the river? That's where it was. So they kind of like based themselves in this very central area. And uh, now, um, years ago, they had the idea that closing off an arm of the canal right, right along the, um, the museum's island would be a wonderful place to have this kind of 800 meter long um, swimming area, naturalized swimming area in Berlin. And so they've gone through this, they formed a club or what they call in Germany a Verein and um, through all kinds of, you know, step by step getting a lot of momentum and studies done and funding for studies through all kinds of applications, they now have um, 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 anchored this idea uh, within politics, so there and within and have gotten EU funding. So this is actually going to be realized, and it's um, the studies that they've done really show how you can renaturalize uh, the a canal of the of the river, and um, by closing off just one side and renaturalizing there, creating a wonderful space within the city, and right in front of the well, that's the castle that they're rebuilding. It's unfortunately happening, and it's nearly finished. But um, right in front of that, um, uh, it will be this uh, wonderful area where you can, um, you know, with changing rooms sunk into the um, in front of the the the, the board. Uh, let's see, boardwalk where it goes down, and um, that's how it will be renaturalized, and how the neighborhood will look and benefit from it as well, and how we'll be able to go swimming right in the middle of the city. So the best swimming pool ever. So um, they do use the river water, and it's cleaned through that natural uh, naturalization. Um, it's a natural kind of filtering system. Hmm. So um, that was an entirely self-initiated project that has, has and will transform our city. And all of these projects have um, you know, been self-initiated. Um, so whether they're temporary or long-term, I think that I, I hope what I've showed you today just shows the potential of what you can do 
um, when you gather some people together with like minds and um, try to work uh, in not only from the bottom up, but um, activating people within the government, working bottom up and top down to create um, better places and better cities. So, thanks. Christian Ring with the World Architecture Day Global Oration as part of the Sydney Architecture Festival 2017. Christian's visit to Sydney was also supported by the Government Architect New South Wales. Uh, thank you for their support. Thank you for listening to Architecture Insights. Uh, you can hear more episodes of the podcast on our SoundCloud page um, where we also tag other people's podcasts that we find interesting and you might too. Please check it out, have a browse around. Thank you once again for listening. My name's Di Snape. <laughs>